0: Job chapter number 18, we've come to the place that we are now in the second round of speeches where Job's three friends um, will offer their speeches and their accusations and their rebukes to Job. Of course, each time that happens, Job responds. Last Wednesday night, we looked at Eliphaz, his speech, and then Job's reaction. Tonight, uh, Bildad's second speech and job 's response um, we 'll read these verses we 'll do as we did last week we, we, in the remainder of these these um, these speeches these three friends give and job 's response much of it is the same, and so we 're going to try to cover a little bit more ground until we get to Elihu, uh, the young man that will speak to job uh, in several chapters to come, then, of course, then God's going to speak, and then everything's going to be put right, everything's going to be put in order again in Job's life, but we'll read these verses as we come to them, I'll offer very little, and we're going to do that again until we get to when Elihu begins speaking a little bit later in the book of Job. But we're in the second round of speeches. And um, you remember one of the things that, um, that Eliphaz asserted was in, his, in the last speech, his last speech, was that it's the general consensus of wise men that if a person suffers, if a man suffers, it's because of sin in his life. That's wrong. Now, there's sin in all of our lives. But not all, if I can say it like this, not all great sinners are suffering greatly tonight. And not all people who are living for God are experiencing abundant blessings as far as how man equates blessings to a person's life. You remember when Job responded to Eliphaz? You remember when he responded, he's frustrated with his friends. He's come to the place, he's frustrated with it. And he doesn't understand God's working through all this. As a matter of fact, you're going to hear him really frustrated with his friends, his family, his servants, even little children in this community, wherever that would have been, as far as uh, where he's located. And he's even going to be be a bit frustrated with God tonight. You're going to hear him do something. We applauded him in an area in chapter one. I'll show you this before we get through tonight, Lord willing. He's going to be guilty this same area as we look at him tonight. You remember our concluding thoughts last Wednesday night was, it is possible to get such, to such a place as Job got in our lives. But we need to be reminded that a bad day in our lives is but one day. I've always loved that experience when, when Jesus warned Peter. Now, Job didn't get that warning. But Peter got a warning from, from Jesus. You remember, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift his wheat. He said, but I have prayed for thee. That thy, uh, and uh, he said, but I have prayed for thee. And he said, uh, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, he's saying, Simon, it's going to be a bad day. Perhaps the worst of your life, the worst night of your life. But, Simon, it is but one night. And there is another day coming in your life. And we all need to be mindful of that. If you've never been frustrated to the point you wanted to throw everything down, walk away, you haven't lived very long at all. But we must remember that every bad day is only one uh, day, and we, and we must never get to the place that we take our eyes off of our Lord. Now, that brings us over here to chapter number 18. Bill, Dad's going to educate Job. That's what all three of the fellas have been doing. Been enlightening Job. They've been educating Job. They've been talking down to Job. Uh, they've got it all summarized for it. When, when Job was responding to Eliphaz, Bildad's listening. You remember all three of these friends are there with him. They've been listening as he responds to one. They're all three getting it. They, they all hear it. And Job had a good bit to say about death. And so Bildad's going to respond according to that tonight. He says to Job in verses 1 through 4 of chapter number 18, he says, Job, you are reactionary. You have a knee-jerk reaction about you. Every time we say something, we don't get it out of our mouth till you spit something back at us. That's why we can't reason with you, Job. You've got an answer for everything. And the tricky part of it all with Job's three friends, and even with Job is to understand the application that's being made. What Bildad is saying, there is some truth to it. I don't want to be redundant, but I'll probably say this over and over again until we get through with these three friends. Everything these three men say is not wrong, and everything that Job says is not right, as you'll see tonight, again. Where the three friends get everything wrong is um, where they state truth, they're just misapplying it. As a matter of fact, let me say this. We, we, you remember last week we, we, we said some things about how that Job, uh, how that Job's three friends, they did not know. You remember Eliphaz made those harsh statements to Job. But he didn't know about that heavenly meeting, remember, between God and the sons of God and Satan. He didn't know about it. Those, Eliphaz didn't know about it. Neither did Bildad, neither, neither did Zophar, but neither did Job. And I'm convinced if these four men had a been able to listen in on that meeting, they would have treated each other a whole lot better. Um, In verses 1 to 4, he he says in chapter number 18, let's read these verses, then we'll move to the next section, which is the largest part of the chapter, verses 5 to 21. But what he says in verses 1 to 4, that Job, you are reactionary. You can't just listen to us, Job. Watch verses 1 to 4. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long will it be ere you make an end of words? When are you going to stop talking, Job? Mark, and afterwards we'll speak. In other words, when you get to the place that you're willing to just shut up and sit there, I guess that'd be the best time for us to speak to you, Job. Verse 3, Wherefore are we counted as beast and reputed vile in your sight? You treat us no better than a, a braying mule. A neighing horse, you treat us like we're mere animals, like we don't know what we're talking about, like we don't know whereof we speak, Job. He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? When he says this about, um, about, uh, about uh, when, when he's saying these things, he is saying, Job, you need just be still and be quiet. All three of these friends have done this to him over and again as they have been accusatory toward Job. Look with me at verses 5 to 21. Now, he says in verses 1 to 4, you might word this a little differently, but Job, you're reactionary. Can't be still and listen and take our counsel and rebuke. Verses 5 to 21, he says, Job, you spoke about death. Let me say a word about death. He's convinced Job's about to die. As a matter of fact, you remember when we saw him in chapter three, and then on, he looks like death, right? He looks like he's going to die. Look at him in the ash heap, the pile of ashes where a recent fire has been, in the local landfill. Now, Warren Wiersbe captures. I want to use his headings. I'm not going to say what he said under them. He said very little, but uh, but I'll make a statement or two. But I do want to borrow his four points of emphasis in these. In these verses, verses 5 to 21, first of all, uh, Bildad says in verses 5 and 6, he says, Now, you've talked about death. He says, Death's on your trail. And death is like a light put out. Watch 5 and 6. Yea, the light of the wicked. That's who you are, Job. Your day's coming. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. He said, you can talk, you can rattle all you want to, Job. You can defend yourself all you want to. You can claim your righteousness all you want to. You can say there's no error, but now death's on your trail. You're suffering because there's sin in your life, and soon God's going to flip the switch, and it's over for you. What a friend. You had any friends like that? What a friend. And then secondly, in verses 7 to 10, he says that to death, now this is Warren Wearsby's words under his heading, death is like a trapped animal. Like a trapped animal. He said, Job, he said, God's got you in his clutches and you just don't know it yet. You can struggle and try to get loose, but death is coming to get you, son. Look at verse 7 to 10. Behold, I cry out of Uh, Excuse me, well, back over. I was in chapter 19. Chapter 18, verse 7 through 10. Um, 5 and 6. I'll get it right in a minute. 5 and 6. Let me see. I've lost my place. 7 through 10. Death is like a trapped animal. Verses 7 through 10 of chapter 18. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The gin shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. Verse 10 says, The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. He says, Job, you're like a wicked man. You're, you're, he likens him into an animal that's trying to escape being caught in the snare or the gin. Uh, what, uh, what, uh, what Bildad is saying to him, he, he, says, he says, Job, there, there are six traps God can use. And he's going to catch you in one of it. Of course, God doesn't need six traps. You know as well as I, when it comes to death, there are thousands of doors open to death. We heard early this morning, did we not, about the two lives lost in the state of Alabama last night because of the tornadoes that passed through in the night. We learn every day now here in rural Mississippi of shootings that take the lives of people in West Point, Mississippi, Tupelo, Mississippi, Columbus, Mississippi. Sometimes it's in Pontotoc County. Sometimes it's in Lee County. Sometimes it's in Union County. Thousands of doors are open to death tonight. We learned of the fatalities over the Thanksgiving weekend by the Mississippi Highway Patrol. Truth of the matter is, is when death comes after us, I'm going to go. And you are too. That's why it's so important that you be prepared to meet God through Jesus Christ. I shared this back when we were going through the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. It's an old legend that uh, it tells of a a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his servant into the marketplace, and before very long, the servant came back to his to his uh, to his master, and he came trembling and, and he was greatly agitated. This is what he said to his master. He said, Down at the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd, and when I turned around, I saw it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. The servant said, Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid her. I will run to Samara. And there will I hide, and death shall not find me. The master lent his horse. He gallops away towards Samara. Later, the merchant himself goes into the marketplace and just happened to see death standing there in the crowd. He went over to her and he asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? That was not a threatening gesture, death said. It was only the Start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samarra. You can run if you want to, but you won't hide from death. We don't like to discuss the matter, but it is a part of life. Every generation prior to our generation died. And if Jesus doesn't come for his Church, in the air, soon. This generation will do what previous generations have done. We'll pass off the scene. Bildad says to Job in verses 11 to 14 that death is like a criminal that's being pursued. Verses 11 to 14 of chapter 18. The Bible says, Terrors shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. My strength shall be hunger-bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side it shall devour the strength of his skin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Just like a criminal trying to escape the authorities that pursue him. And uh, there's just no running from this. There's no, no, no outrunning death in this race for any of us. Verses 15 to 21, death is like a tree that's been uprooted, weers be said. I like, I like his phrasing of all this. Verse 15 through 21. It shall dwell in his tabernacle, because it is none of his. Brimstone shall be scattered about his habitation. His roots shall be dried up beneath, and above shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be astonished at his day, as they that went before were affrighted. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. You hear how he's talking to his friend. so he's talking to his friend. He said, Job, when death comes, death's going to touch your life in such a way, uh, just, uh, just like a tree that's been plucked up by its roots. It's branches cut away. You'll not even have a son or even a nephew to carry on your name. Job, you won't even be a good memory. Not far down the road. Do you know that is true with every one of us? Happy day if you saved. Happy day if you saved and you know it. You know what I'm saying when I say that. You don't have any wranglings with that. You don't let some flaming evangelist that is charismatic in his delivery come through and plant a seed of doubt in your mind and let, you, let your emotions get the best of you so that you'll question truth now? Your emotions come and go. Truth remains. It remains. It is still. Truth that was true 2,000 years ago remains truth to this very night. Truth does not change. God's Word is true. It is truth and it is no error. You say, preacher, well, I don't know. Somebody said, if I didn't say this when I got saved, then I... Show me that in your Bible. A lot of this stuff that's carried on in Baptist churches isn't right, It not scriptural. Too many people manufacture results. Now, I don't like that stuff. Never have liked that stuff. Some get up and yell hard. If you're you're 99.9% sure you're saved, I don't know how you figure the percentages, but they'll say that if you're 99.9% you're saved, then you're lost. That ain't in the Bible. John the Baptist, the greatest to be born of a woman, doubted whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And at one time in his life, he knew he was the Messiah. He put his hands on him and baptized him. Your God, the Father, speak from heaven. The Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. And yet he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one? Is it really you? Or do we look for another? And you remember what Jesus sent back through his disciples? Four quotes from the book of Isaiah. John probably preached those texts time and time again. He said, John, ain't nothing new. And then he pronounced that beatitude. Uh, of the unoffended. He said, John, ain't nothing changed. Because your circumstances have changed, the word hadn't changed, I hadn't changed. Don't you be offended at me. But, John, it's all going from point A to point B. He told those disciples, you go back. He told them what Isaiah said. You you go back and tell them the poor are having the gospel preached to them. This Roman government may be oppressing them, but I'm setting them free. You go back and you tell John that the uh, the deaf, uh, uh, that they're they're having their ears open and and not to send any flowers now for the funeral home because I'm going by there this evening. and I'm going to raise him from the dead. The word. Why, in the name of the Lord, Baptist preachers and churches, quit. Preaching the truth and tried to manufacture something happening years ago. I have no idea. Bildad, again, he says some right things. But his application's all wrong concerning Job. See, he said Job was going to die the death of the wicked, but Job didn't die the death of a wicked man. When Job died, we have the promises of the Word of God. He died the, the death of a righteous man. Not only do the lost and the saved live different lives, but we die different deaths. The Old Testament writer said it like this. said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. The New Testament writer said, we are confident to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That lets us know the death of the righteous, number one, is precious in the sight of God. Number two, it means to be present with God. They ain't worried about nothing over there on the other side. We have the Word of God on it. I want you to notice uh, in chapter number 19 now, we'll go through this briefly. Um, would, Would somebody look up some passages of Scripture, and we'll not take the time to do so. Would somebody look up Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17? Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17. Anybody? All right, Donald, that's Ruth 1, 16 and 17. I need another one, Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. Anybody? All right, Brother Chris. Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. Someone. Daniel 3, 16 to 18. All right, Brother Greg. Acts 20, 24. Acts 20, 24. Anybody? All right, Brother Jay. One more, Habakkuk, or as the Englanders say, Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Anybody, any takers? All right, Amanda, all right. When it comes your time to read, read where I can hear you. (laughs) I can't hear certain tones. There's too much time around those frame guns and saws. And uh, when when she speaks to me, a lot of times she talks to me like this right here. And I want to run around on the other side and say, what would you say, girl? What did you say? (laughs) Let me tell you what you're going to find in, in Job chapter number 19. You're going to find Job at a very low place. And he's going to move from there to a very high place. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced Job 3 is the lowest. But if some are convinced, Job 19 verses one to twenty four job's at his lowest point in the book. I wouldn't argue it either way. The bulk of this chapter will deal with his words while he is at a low ebb, a low place, then toward the very end. Uh, there are about three verses that put him on a on a very high toward the end of this chapter. The difference is the focus as long as he's looking at his as long as he's looking at himself and his circumstances, he's at a low ebb. But when he turns his focus toward God, that's when we find ourselves at a high place. Bildad's done what Bildad's done before. If you've heard him one time, you've heard him all the time. He's got one more speech to make in the book of Job. He's going to do the same thing. He'll be arrogant, just like Eliphaz and Zophar are. he we'll speak. Low, speak down to Job. Now, the lows, verses 1 to 24. Job in these verses, he's going to express his struggle. He'll express his struggle. Verses 1 to 5, his friends have done him wrong. Look at verses 1 to 5 of chapter number 19. Then Job answered and said, how long will you vex my soul? That word vex means to irritate, to frustrate. How long will you... Frustrate! How long will you irritate my soul and break me in pieces with words? You've cut me, man. You've cut me. These ten times have you reproached me. You're not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. I thought we were friends. I thought we were close. That's not the way you treat me. Verse 4 and 5. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach. You remember in chapter 16, he said in verses 1 and 2, that then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things, many uh, uh, miserable comforters are you, And they're miserable because they beat him down. They just continue to beat him down. They don't take time. They don't have the compassion or the patience with him to try to lift him up. Verses 6 to 13, not only does he say his friends have done him wrong, but he says, God's done me wrong. want to show you something. Go back. Hold your place here. Go back to chapter 1, verse 22. Only one verse. You remember Job gets all these reports from these four different messengers. It's all gone. The only thing that remains is his wife and four servants. Everything else is gone. And the Bible says that he said what he said, he did what he did in verse 20, he said what he said in verse 21, and the Bible says in verse number 22, And all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. But I want you to listen to me tonight, church. He's fixing to charge God foolishly. He's about to blame God. He's going to charge him foolishly. I want you to hear what I said in Job 3. And we said it again a couple of uh, messages back. Job's friends are, are ready to turn their back on him. But God never does. As a matter of fact, God doesn't interject himself in chapter number 19 and say, Job, out behind the woodshed now, he doesn't do any such of a thing. Joni Erickson Tata. She says, she's a paraplegic. She says she loves the book of Job because she's found herself saying some of the same things Job has said in a chapter such as this and in chapter number three and other places. And she said, Still, God does not forsake Job. We say a lot about the patience of Job. We ought to underline and magnify the patience of God with Job. Listen to verses 6 to 13. He's going to say, God's done me wrong. Look at verse number 6. Know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. This word overthrown. in verse number 6 means wronged. He says, God's wronged me. Look if at verses 7 and 8. In verses 7 and 8, he feels that God's dealt with him unjustly. Verses 7 and 8. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am Not heard, I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. In other words, there's no justice. I've prayed, I've cried out, I've lifted my voice to it. There is no justice in my life. Verse number 8, he hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, I cannot escape. He hath set darkness in my paths, I don't know where to go. Verse number 9, she says, uh, he's left me destitute, he's taken everything from me. Verse number 9, he hath stripped me of my glory. This word glory, he's speaking of his of what he, what he owned. He has no cattle. He has nothing to claim for his own, nothing to mark for his life and labor. He hath stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. Verses 10 and following, he goes on and says, He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and mine hope hath. He removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me. And he counted me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and raise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. And, and then he's going to go on and say some other things. But he's saying right now, he's saying, Not only have my friends done me wrong, but God's done me wrong. Again, when he uses this word overthrown in verse number six, talking about God overthrowing him. That word means wronged. He's saying God's wronged me. And when he says a verse or two later that he talks about there being no justice in his life, we all ought to stop and thank God right now that God has not dealt with us according to justice. We've all done like Job at times, haven't we? Why? Why me? Why now? What? What good can come of this? We question the dealings of God in our lives. Often, many of us have. Sometimes we think God should answer to us or answer us. This is where we are in the Baptist church, right? We all think God owes us an answer. God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything. Go with me over to chapter 40 of the book of Job. I want you to see something and you'll... You'll, remember, uh, you'll probably not remember it when we get there. That's still a long ways down the road, right? Chapter number 40, verses 6 through 9. Watch this. Watch if you think that God owes us or owes Job an explanation. He's talking to Job here. Chapter 40, verses 6 through 9. Here's what the Bible says. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment and wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Go back to verse 7. He says to Job, Gird up thy loins. Get ready, Job. Gird up thy loins like a man. He said, Now I will demand of thee. Declare thou unto me. What God says is, Job, I don't don't answer to you. You answer to me. We've lost that. Honest before God and before all of God's heaven and his witnesses, we've lost that as a people. We have no fear of God. We want him to tend to our every whim and explain everything. He doesn't know us anything like that. We answer to God. If we could learn what I call the principle of abandonment, it would help all of us in our walk. I believe Christ taught us that in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means wine press. He's pressed beyond measure. He said, not my will but thine be done. Job sinned. Job sinned in this chapter. When he accused God of injustice, Job sinned. If you do that and I do that, we sin. Will not the God of Israel do right, Abraham said? Yes, he will do right. Verses 13 to 24, just to read them and make mention that everybody in Job's life, he feels like everybody's done him wrong. 13 to 24, he hath put my brethren far from me, mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. He said, My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They used to come by, they used to wave the hand, they used to speak. They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I called my servant, must have been one of the four servants that that survived all the tragedy of chapter 1. I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despise me. I rose, and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do you persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh that my words were now written, Oh that they were printed in a book, that they were given with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. He's at a low place, isn't he? Those who know him have distanced themselves from him. They've mocked him. They've laughed at him, even the little children. Verses 25 to 27, we'll close with this. We'll use those of you who, who are going to read with us here. Verses 25 to 27. Let's read these verses. Well, let's read down through 29, but I'm interested in 25. More so 25, but 25 through 27. 25, and here's where he goes from his low to his high, and I'm convinced this is just a God thing for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I, shall I see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me. Be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword." That you may know there is a judgment. For reasons known only to God, I suppose, Job bursts forth in 25 through 27 with a great declaration of faith. I've heard 25, and then I've heard 25, 26, and 27 preached. You know, just as a shouting sermon and a shouting sermon alone, right? It's one of these mountain peak declarations of Job in his book. But you know, in its context, he goes from a very low, low, and he makes these statements. He's so low physically that his skin is barely... Um, that's all he's got. He has no flesh. It's just his skin over his bones. Remember, he just said that. Nobody even speaks to him unless it's these three three friends, and you see how they speak to him. Then all of a sudden, he bursts forth in verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He makes this statement right on the heels of these low, these utterances that... That he's just made in this chapter. And again, I'm convinced it's God and God alone that helps him in this. Um, How many of us can look back over miles traveled and realize it, it had to be God? I didn't have it in me. There was help nowhere else to be found. It had to be God. I've mentioned the last three or four weeks, Brother Hal, I, I remember the first time I saw him there in Tupelo Hospital. Um, he's breathing like this. He, he didn't know. They knew. He didn't know that he had lung cancer. He's breathing like, like this. He was. Three weeks later, he died. I was trying to talk to him. And I said, you don't say anything. I saw how he's laboring for his wind. And that had come up on him all of a sudden. I don't suppose I'll ever forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, Brother Kevin, he said, he said, now they won't tell me anything. He said, they won't tell me anything. But he said, whatever the will of the Lord is, we'll accept it. He said, if God's ready for me, we accept that. And somehow in the midst of all this hardship and pain, Job says, look, I'm I'm taking my eyes off of this and looking to a better day. It's amazing how God can do that. I was sitting at my desk uh, today, and I I was thinking about this this business of hardship. If if you go through hardship and you don't have any understanding of why you're there, and oftentimes you won't, it brings despair. And and if you go through great hardship and you have no hope, I mean, no hope is offered you, uh, it'll bring great despair. If you can't see any purpose in it, You don't have a son or a daughter or a grandbaby to make you get up and face what you got to face. Or a spouse that loves you can leave you at a hard place. Job is mindful during this time, and it's God that's given Job his hope and his help in these moments. I really think that verse 25, 26, and 27 ought to be coupled with a number of other great declarations of faith. Whoever had Ruth 1, verses 16, 17, listen to Ruth. Um, we'll have a couple that's going to stand here um, in a week and a half and take a vow, according to Malachi 2, God will be present that day to witness it, according to Malachi 2. And whether they realize it right now or not, I think they've already considered it. But whether they have or not, they're going to make in taking that vow before God. That is a Bible covenant. Marriage is a Bible covenant. And they're going to say to this world and each other, thy people shall be my people. that's something. I've sat down with couples before and hear the man say, I didn't marry my mom-in-law. And I'd say, yes, uh, no, you didn't, but yes, you did. If she can get along with your side, you can get along with her side. There's one thing about my wife. She has a fierce loyalty about her. She loves all of her people. And I'm not being disrespectful when I say what I'm thinking. Say, But on the holly side, you either get a fighting drunk. That's for the men folk and the women folk. Or you get that old line holiness. There ain't no middle ground with them. She loves every one of them. As a matter of fact, I've heard her say it before. I love all my people. And I've heard her follow it with, as far as I know, all my people love me. That's the way it ought to be. It's the way it ought to be. Listen to Jeremiah. You know Lamentations is about uh, about this weeping prophet, is weeping, is wailing over a backslidden people. And yet in the midst of it, listen to this great declaration of faith, Lamentations three, twenty one to twenty four. All right, listen to Acts 20, 24. Listen to Paul. Listen to this great declaration of faith. Amen. That's Paul's declaration of faith and his service to God. Listen to Habakkuk 3, verses 17 to 19. Listen to Habakkuk in this time of despair in his own life. Listen to what he writes. minutes and I'm done look back at verse 25 the Bible says this is Job's words for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth notice the phrase verse number 25 for I know that speaks to the certainty of Job's faith you'll do yourself a favor to be under Bible teaching and Bible preaching regularly not a bunch of cliches not a bunch of hype You'll do yourself well, whether it's under me or someone else. Of course, we think everybody in the county to join right here. Can I get a witness? There's some things, Job at a time when you'd have thought he knew nothing. He says, I know something. Then notice, if you will, the possession of Job's faith. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Not my wife's Redeemer, not my preacher's Redeemer Not my parents' Redeemer, but my Redeemer. Luther of yesteryear said, the meat of the gospel is found in the pronouns. He said, he's my Redeemer. His faith is reigning superior right now. Right now, after he's been so low, he's marching to the beat of a different drum now. It's his faith that lives within him. It will take him farther down the road. Verse number 25 again. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth." Now the focus is not on Job anymore. It's on his Redeemer. And he said, not only that, he said that he's going to stand on this earth one day. And we don't know. Honestly, we don't know. You can read everybody you want to read. But we really don't know if he was talking about Christ in his incarnation or Christ in his revelation. May have been talking about both. But he said, uh, he said I'm going to tell you something else I know. He said, I know I'm going to die and skin worms going to eat the flesh What little's left off these bones. But he said, now, even this body's going to stand again. I'm going to see him in my flesh. He believed in the resurrection. How he knew all that, we don't know. He didn't have all we have. In Scripture, God revealed it to him. Let's stand.